0: That lovely bass music means that we're back for the Cycling with Watts podcast. I am your host, Jared Watts, and this is a podcast dedicated to all things cycling, whether that is pro cycling news, whether that's learning about new bike maintenance, learning about the new things in the world of tech and geeking out about tire pressure, or geeking out about chain ratios, or whatever you want in the... In the Maintenance section, and then uh, training tips, and like what I like to do out on the bike, and how I can help fuel your ride as best as possible. And so this podcast is dedicated to equipping you with all of the knowledge to make you more confident out on your bike, get you out riding more. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. You know, this is episode seven. I'm just starting on this uh, this podcasting journey, and I'm I'm so glad that you're here with me today, so I hope you enjoy the episode. We're running through stages four, five, and six of the Vualta preview stage seven, which I'm recording this Thursday night, releasing it Friday morning, and so Friday morning stage is stage seven of the Volta. We're going to get into the tech clinic where, ooh, at the Volta there's some cool stuff going out, and Campy just released something new. Technically not released till unbranded on a pro rider's bike, so stay tuned for That, and then we're going to get into how to apply chain lube correctly. You thought you were doing it right? You were probably doing it all wrong. Completely, completely wrong. Just kidding. But no, there is a there is kind of a right way to apply chain lube and what's the best way to do it. And then we're going to talk about carbon-soled shoes, why you need to move away from your nylon-based shoes to a carbon-soled shoes. Yes, you're going to pay for it, but it is so worth it, you're going to gain a lot of watts, which is my last name. Hence the Cycling with Watts podcast. So, we're going to roll that Sting music and get right into it. So, last episode, all the way back to episode six, we talked about stages one, two, and three of the Vualta. We got stages four, five, and six to talk about. Been some history being made this year as two teams have uh, taken their first world tour win of the year they've waited a little little while for their uh for their first win of the year but uh they made it nice and they made it you know impactful for their race and uh not not really impactful that was totally made up i was just trying to make that that opening sound cool of these teams but we got some cool things going on for americans i would say in pro cycling has uh ben king won stage four of the Volta, and we'll get it more into that one. So the Volta so far has been—it's been hot, it's been hilly, it's been a blast to watch. There's been some kind of crazy things going on. If you don't know anything about the Volta, it's going on in Spain right now. It is the third Grand Tour. It's the youngest Grand Tour of them all. It, uh, it's been going on for I think about 85 years, something like that, started right about in the 30s, and it hasn't always been the biggest race. Used to be kind of in the springtime. Now it's in August uh, moving into September and so it is the third Grand Tour and they wear red for the leaders jersey which also is interesting they used to wear orange and yellow and gold were all the three colors of the leaders jersey now it is the distinctive red you have the pink in the Giro yellow in the tour and red in the Vualta and so moving straight in to stage four stage four was 161 kilometer And it was leaving Malaga, heading into the Granadas. And so this was kind of the first climbing test. At least that's what a lot of people predicted, that this was going to be our first test for the climbers. This was going to be our first kind of GC climber coming out. And in a way, we saw that, but uh, in a way, we we didn't. So the first real test of climbing, you know, it was an 18.2 kilometer climb starting after about 51 kilometers, which averaged 5.2% average gradient in there. And then the stage did finish on a summit, which was a 12.4-kilometer climb with an average of 5.4%. So, you know, it's not the easiest of things that they're doing, and that summit finish was pretty fun to watch because the peloton, you know, was letting that breakaway go for a while and that breakaway was still held a held a lead going into that summit and then up that summit is really when the uh, peloton started closing in more and more but they did not catch the breakaway. So who won the stage? Like I said Ben King of Dimension Data won the stage. So an American winning it on the biggest levels, which is great to see because there's not a lot of Americans in the pro tour and to see an American win at the highest level it was awesome that was also dimension data's first world tour win of the year which is that's a long time to go without getting a world tour win now they've definitely struggled at the the tour and they're built around mark cavendish which i'm going to get to mark cavendish later on the podcast because uh some sad news to to his season kind of came out and uh makes sense of why maybe he's had a, a down year this year so Ben King though to win the stage he was a part of a nine-man break that got up to 10 minutes 10 minute lead over the peloton and that peloton was being paced by Lotto NL Yumbo which was uh you know different to see because we've seen Team Sky up until this point doing a lot of that pacemaking and so Lotto NL Yumbo was doing that pacemaking making. But Ben King was uh, looking to take the overall lead in the race until the uh, Peloton decided to close down because they had that 10-minute gap. And so at one point, Ben King did have kind of that chance to take red. But uh, the Peloton and Mikhail Kwiatkowski, who was in red at that time, they they closed that down so that he would not be the one taking red. But it was Ben King, Nikita Stelnov, of Astana uh, going into that final summit. It was those two, and it was a Pierre Roland of EF Education First was trying to you know, bridge back up to those guys as those two riders were going up into that final summit. They were duking it out, but then Pierre Roland was able to make his way up to that duo up until about 400 meters to go where King opened up his, uh, his sprint and, and gave it all at 400 meters and was able to hold off until the finish which was again great to see an american up there and americans kind of in general uh, at stage four in the race you know you had ben king winning the stage and then you had sep Kus of lotto nl yumbo he's another american young american i believe he's 21 years old he was doing a lot of that pacemaking for lotto nl yumbo who was up at that front for majority of the day in that peloton and so Two Americans doing at the highest level. And after that stage four, a lot of journalists, a lot of reports, uh, things coming out after the race were kind of praising how well Sepkus looked in, in that pacemaking uh, attempt by Lotto. So that was really good to see, really cool as well. And so, like I said, Ben King won that stage. And then kind of GC guys coming in after that on stage four, you had Simon Yates, who Simon Yates made a great move. Uh, as the Peloton was coming up into that summit finish, Simon Yates had it in his legs. He took off and distanced himself from the Peloton and picked up you know, a good chunk of time on his, his rivals in the GC, uh, Mihail Kwiatkowski, who was wearing red. He picked up about 30 seconds and moved into third place, just 10 seconds behind Mihail Kwiatkowski after stage four. And so it was also interesting, though, to see Adam Yates make that move because if you watch any part of the Giro, Sorry, not Adam Yates, Simon Yates. Adam Yates is his brother. He's also in the race and playing uh, probably a domestique role or will play a domestique role for Simon as they move into the next next weeks and really get into the mountains. But Simon Yates and the Giro held a, a lead for a long time. The Giro was wearing pink there and just cracked late on uh, in the race and Chris Froome ultimately won. But their team said that, and, and Matt White, their director of sport chief, was saying that, you know, they maybe just pushed it too far. They pushed it too hard. They tried to chip away too much at the Giro and that they've learned from that experience so that they're not going to be doing those types of things come the Walta. Well, you know, you say that, but then you attack with, you know, not that, mo- not that much left on the final summit. And on a very long day of climbing to begin with, you attack in that last part of the race and take a few seconds back. So it was kind of contradictive, but it worked out in the end for Yates. He had the legs. And, yeah, he he ended up moving up to third place ahead of Alejandro Valverde and behind Emmanuel Buckman from Bora Hansgrohe. So it was a good day for him. And then... Overall, again, Mikhail Kwiatkowski still held red after Stage 4, Alejandro Valverde in 4th, and then some of the other big-name guys. You have Nairo Quintana in 8th, 33 seconds back. Steven Kroeswick, Vlado NL Yumbo, 37 seconds back. And Thibaut Pino at 12th, and so all of those guys kind of sticking in the those teens range somewhere right around there. And so, again, uh, another thing that has uh, kind of been an overarching theme for the Volta has been, been the heat. And especially after stage four, people were, were feeling the heat and talking about it considerably after, after the stage about how hot it was and just how hard it is to function. And I think that really came, came into effect though, in some of these sprint stages and sprint stages to move forward. Uh, Stage six was a sprint stage and uh, talking about the heat and how it's harder to build these, these sprint trains. So anyways, we go into stage four, after stage four, Kwiatkowski is in red. Now we are on to stage five. Stage five was a hilly, hilly uh, parkour that uh, is described by the Volta's website. But we know that kind of every stage is hilly. So if it says that it is a hilly stage, it might actually mean that it's a mountainous stage. So, yes, this, uh, this route map basically looked like a jaded, like, sharp teeth of a great white shark if you go look at the the route profile Uh, but the biggest climb comes at uh, 160 kilometers in alto el marcal which is a category two climbs 14.9 kilometers with an average gradient of 3.9 percent and then it's got a long descent into the finish there and this is going from granada into roquetas de Mar. Now, I am terrible at Spanish, so I am definitely butchering a lot of these names. So please, please stick with me on that. So what are the top headlines coming out of Stage 5? Which Stage 5 was Wednesday? Yes, Wednesday, August 29th was Stage 5. And so biggest headline out of that was EF Education First got their first World Tour win. So Dimension Data got it on Stage 4. EF Education first gets their first one of the year, and that comes via Simon Clark, who outsprinted sprinted Balcom Oliver of Trek, and Miao Kwiatkowski lost the red jersey to Rudy Millar of Groupama FDJ, which that was very interesting because, as I tell you how it, uh, how it unfolded, you could say maybe Sky purposely lost that jersey. And I am uh, I think they did, but we'll get into why maybe they did that. So how did it unfold? Well, the breakaway had about a three-minute lead with 100 kilometers to go. That included uh, in that breakaway Simon Clark of EF Education First. He went on to win it. Paul Kamalovar of Trek and Alessandro Marchi of BMC. And there was a full kind of a flurry of attacks that split up that, uh, that breakaway. And uh, the group sorry, sorry, attacks that split up that breakaway in uh, the group slightly between 100 kilometers and 60 kilometers, so about 40 kilometers there, just kind of a flurry of little attacks, but nothing ever really amounted to anything until DeMarkey set off on his own, Alessandro DeMarkey of BMC, and that is where Simon Clark and Balkan Oliver were able to catch him, and at this point, they had built a lead of about six minutes over the peloton, And so they were cresting over that final climb and began the descent into the finishing town. And then at this point, it was pretty clear that the the Peloton was not going to be closing down much more time and that the red jersey was slipping out of the hands of, you Kwiatkowski and that it was going to come down to one of these three riders who were ultimately going to take the stage win. And it was Simon Clark who was able to hold off the rest of them in that stage win, but one of the biggest talking points again was Team Sky losing that red jersey. And so, if you're new to cycling or, you know, don't necessarily know how racing works, you know, why would a team purposely give up a jersey? Now, most teams wouldn't. You know, most teams aren't Team Sky who have won four of the last Grand Tours and they've just been super dominant, but most teams would fight tooth and nail as long as they could to hold on to that coveted leader's jersey, basically of any race, but especially in a grand tour. But if you hold that leader's jersey, you are expected to keep it and fight for it. So Team Sky, they have what looks like bigger plans for Mihail Kwiatkowski down the road in this race to again take red. They gave up red to Rudy Millar, who they do not think is going to be a threat for G.C. In the final days, they don't think Rudy Millar, and I don't think any, any expert would think that Rudy Millar is going to take that either. So, they let Rudy Millar take that red jersey. Therefore, that means that they get to relax a little bit and they do not have to do the pacemaking, which we saw in Stage 6 on Thursday is that Team Sky was not then doing that pacemaking, which they've been doing the pacemaking up until this point, and they've really been pushing the peloton. A lot of the other teams, a lot of riders have been saying how it's been so difficult, one, with the heat, but then, two, with how Team Sky has been pushing that pace. So, Mikhail Kwiatkowski gave up red, but he was still in second place on the GC at just one minute back with Emmanuel Buckman of Bora Hansgrohe. A minute and eight seconds back, Simon Yates in fourth at a minute and 11, Alejandro Valverde in fifth at a minute and 13. So basically, all those top GC guys just lost a minute to Rudy Millar, who is not going to be a factor, at least we think, at the end in Madrid. So that was the big points coming out of stage five and then moving into stage six, which was a sprinter stage. And before I didn't say this on the podcast, but I did tweet this, it looks like Nas, er, <laughs> uh Nasser buhani of kofidis he was going to target stage six for his win and Nasser buhani won stage six so not that i predicted or anything because i really just read what other analysis and what other journalists said was going to happen and i was like you know what that makes sense that's a sprinting stage i like Nasser buhani so i uh i picked him for that and i tweeted it but i didn't say in a podcast so it really doesn't count so he won stage six But what was stage six? It was a flat stage, which, again, flat in the Vuelta still means that it's kind of hilly. So it's a 155-kilometer flat stage from Huércal to San Javier. That wasn't too bad. I didn't think that was too bad. If we have any Spanish listeners or anything like that, I am absolutely atrocious at announcing this stuff. So uh, I do apologize for any of that. But what happened? So, this was a flat stage, which definitely came nice after some very hilly stages. And Rudy Millar, Groupama FDJ, finished safely in the front group to retain the red jersey, 41 seconds ahead of Mihail Kwiatkowski. Who? Mikhail Kwiatkowski, even though he gave up red after stage five, he was still in green. He's still in green after today as well. So, but the story of the day in the GC battle was that a minute 45 was conceded by Keterman and Thibaut Pino when the bunch fragmented through a combination of crashes and crosswinds uh, throughout the day. And so one crash did come with a sharp right-hand corner in La Union as a number of riders went down in the center of the peloton, including Mike Tenusen of Sunweb, Fabio Fellin of Trek Segafredo, while many more were caught back in the back of the crash and then high winds later on high winds and Bora pushing the pace at the front of the peloton just split that peloton into a number of echelons but in the end it was Nasser Buhani of Kofidis who won a bunch sprint to out sprint Danny Van Poppel of Lotto Eno Yumbo and Elia Viviani who has absolutely been tearing it up this year for quick step floors So now we move on to stage seven, which is a 185 kilometer hilly stage from Puerto Lumbreas to Pozo Alcon. So yes, that sounds, uh, that sounds about right. I think I did pretty good on that one. So this is a hilly stage and it doesn't look like there's too many steep sections. So I think this will be another day for these sprinters, but it could also be a a key day for Alejandro Valverde or Miguel Kwiatkowski. If they want to take that risk, you know, it's a It looks like it will probably come down to a bunch sprint. But you just never know with exactly how hard these climbs are going to be, what that heat is going to do, if there's any unlucky crashes. But it looks like it might be a day for a rider like that. Uh, There are two, three-category climbs. The first one comes at 117 kilometers in, and the second one is with 12 kilometers to go. So I hope to see Mihaly Kwiatkowsky Mikhail Kwiatkowski in red later on down the road. I still think Simon Yates has the best chance, the best team around him to win the overall, but we will see as the rest of the story unfolds. So now let's transition into some transfer news. And I got to say, this is a there's a lot of pro cycling news going on, and I'm not going to get to everything, but I'm just going to try to touch on a uh, a couple things because there's stories coming out about like Team Aqua Blue who just, they're done, <laughs> absolutely done. And it's like new news is coming out every single day. So I'll get into that after we go through a couple of transfer news. So I'm excited about this one. Gavin Mannion of UHC, he's a, he just won the Colorado Classic. He is headed over to Rally Cycling because UHC is folding, as far as we know right now, is going to be folding at the end of the year, and they have a men's and women's team. But Gavin Mannion is one of their top riders just won the Colorado Classic this year and he's moving over to Rally Cycling who is a US Pro Continental team and Rally is a very fast growing Pro Continental team and is probably going to be one of the one of if not the premier US team and they've already done that but now moving forward with UHC being out of the picture uh, rally seems to be the one who's going to step up and be that premier us team and Rally's done well in the past they've been growing and growing and growing bigger and bigger they have both a men's and women's team they've been racing in europe this year and so it's really cool to see rally cycling grow and they are kind of based here in minnesota loosely and that's where i'm from in minnesota in minneapolis actually at a storage unit where if, if you don't know i work for Velofix, we're a mobile bike shop we park our Our vans at a uh, a storage unit and one of the rally, um, I don't know, vans is there sometimes. So we kind of share the same space as rally in a way. Not really, but rally is kind of, they got connections in Minnesota. So it's always cool to see them doing big things on the pro cycling level. So what else? Daniel Navarro, he is 35 of Colfidus. He signs a two-year deal with Katusha Alpeson, which being a little bit older, he does bring some experience to that squad. And Katusha El- is just feels like they really haven't been able to build a good, cohesive squad. Kind of feels like they have a bunch of new guys each year not really able to to build that solid squad. But anyways, Daniel Navarro, he is going to be a big help for Ilnar Zakarin for his upcoming GC hopes, which Ilnar Zakarin had a good tour this year in his standards and he was hoping to have a good volta unfortunately he had he crashed early on in one of the stages and uh just kind of been taking a toll and he's lost a lot of time gc wise but he is definitely an up-and-coming rider for and katusha elbison's like number one gc guy so daniel navarro will be there to help him now here's a name that i'm definitely gonna butcher baghias van hoek of Lotto NL Jumbo. He will be moving over to the newly formed CCC squad, which BMC is morphing into CCC. And he will be riding in support of Greg Van Avermaet. He is a 26-year-old who has been a world champion on the track and is just kind of breaking the ice of that road riding as he completed his first Grand Tour this year in the Giro. So he will be a help for Greg Van Avermaet moving forward. So I touched on Aqua Blue, but I want to get to that one last because that is probably the most interesting. So moving over to the women's side, Mariana Voss, hashtag Voss Boss, is ending her road season. She is a very dominant road rider. She's kind of dominant, whatever she does. But, uh, yeah, she's ending her road season a little bit short because she is going to focus on cyclocross. And for the first time, she's coming over to the U.S. Start her cyclocross season in Waterloo, Wisconsin on September 21st. So she is one of the greatest women cyclists out there right now and it's cool to see her racing in the racing in the u.s coming up here in a couple weeks also another woman of the u.s megan garnier of bulls dolman she is set to retire after 11 seasons 11 seasons uh megan in american will be be retiring from pro cycling to focus on going back to school and starting a family. That is what she said. Is kind of what what she hopes to do after her life in cycling, but she is definitely very decorated and uh, has done a lot in her 11 years. So she's been a two-time U.S. national champion. She was a winner of the Giro Rosa, which is the biggest women's race of the year she's won strada bianchi she's been an olympian and most recently she won the 2018 tour de yorkshire so megan has definitely had her share of big accomplishments and uh been able to be an american out on that highest level of cycling so it's always cool to see an american doing that and riding for the great squad of Bull Stolmans. so she is set to retire and uh just thank her for everything that she's done for american cycling and i wish her the best as she moves on in life so next is Mark Cavendish who has been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus which I'm not 100% sure what Epstein-Barr virus is but it's the second time that he's gotten it in his career and it definitely helps helps to shape why he has not had as great of a season he's been involved in a lot of crashes he just hasn't looked to be a form did not perform well in the Tour de France And so he is done for the season, which is is good. I hope hope he recovers, but he is done for the season. So Mark Cavendish has got Epstein-Barr virus. So now on to Team Aqua Blue. Team Aqua Blue is an Irish squad. They were started at the beginning of last season, and their hope was to be kind of this new age cycling team that was going to be self-funded, that they were not going to – get a ton of money from sponsors, but they were gonna be self-funded, selling things through websites, selling things through that Aqua Blue name. And they're done, like literally they just, they are done. They all sat down for their weekly meeting with uh, Rick Delaney, the head of the team, and instead of going through what was gonna happen that week, talking through riders, talking through you know what the upcoming plan was, he told them they were, they were done, like the team was folding. I can't imagine sitting in that room. Uh, the article I was reading, it was over Skype and, you know, looking up and basically like you think you're just walking into a regular regular team meeting and then all of a sudden you are out of a job. That would be absolutely terrifying and mortifying to be in that meeting, just like blank faces, a dead silence. I'm guessing you could just hear a pin drop in that room. So they are done, and they were set to be in the tour of Britain coming up starting september 2nd on sunday and i think they just found out this news maybe monday or tuesday of this week and they're not riding in that race they're out of a job and uh team wiggins will be uh filling their spot in the tour of britain which i am a fan of of that team so it'll be cool to see them up and coming but unfortunately it's because team aqua blue is done and uh you know Rick Delaney now more I mean it's like more news is coming out about this every single day and Rick Delaney just basically he left so they had that Skype call and Rick Delaney after they hung up the phone you know people are trying to piece together what's going on and they have a what's a whatsapp group with their team and Rick Delaney left that he left Twitter he is not coming to the media so he's just trying to like get off the face of the earth he's done he's gone and now That would suck if your boss, like, told you, one, that the team ended, but then didn't give you any reason why the team was ending or, you know, why did I just lose my job? So, unfortunately, it is another team that is folding. Well, they've already folded, not even at the end of the year. I don't know if you're going to finish out out the year, but another team lost to... uh, To that and and it's sad and their biggest thing that they say is basically that they didn't get the invitations that they needed for grand tours or races in general to make that money and get their riders out there get sponsorships out there and stuff like that and i'm guessing they weren't selling enough to fund the team so sad to see them go all right so that is it that is a wrap on pro cycling news like i said there's a there was a lot to get to this week, especially with the Giro going on. Not the Giro, the the Volta going on. And so uh, there's definitely more to come in episode 8 of the Cycling with Watts podcast. But we're going to transition now over into tech news, which we don't have a ton of tech news this week. I would say uh, one of the biggest things to kind of come out is Envy. Envy has got a new wheel set out. And they are moving on over into the tubeless market which they were already in the tubeless market but they're coming out with that uh, some some uh, wheels that are optimized for bigger tires and tubeless so it is the NV ses 5.6 tubeless wheel set so it is a rim brake caliber wheel set that is supporting a larger tire they're optimized for 25 millimeter tires with a 20 millimeter inner rim and a 29 millimeter outer rim on the front and on the back it's a 28 millimeter outer and so wider tires is of course going to give you better stability traction and control but in this case they are best optimized with 25 millimeter wide tires which is really cool to see that a lot of wheel brands are really embracing this because it's been proven by science at least that's what everybody tells me is that it's been proven by science but definitely if you have, if you're still riding 23s and you've made the upgrade to 25s, you, you know how much of a difference that makes. If you're on 23s still, still please move up to 25s. They are amazing. But even if you move to 25 to 28, oh it's such an amazing difference, and they'll give you such a softer ride. But even with, with tubeless now, too, you can run that little bit wider tire as compared to a 23. You can run a tubeless, so you can run it with even lower pressure and not have to worry about flats and just make a more comfortable ride altogether. And so it's the, I just knocked my water off of my desk. I'm just going to have a dry mouth the rest of this podcast. So what I was going to say though, is it's the Envy SES 5.6. It's a 5.6 because the front wheel is a 54 millimeter deep rim and the rear, it's a 63 millimeter deep rim. And Envy claims that this is the fastest wheel set. Nah, just kidding. It's the, it's a faster wheel set than their predecessor, the SES wheels, which I would hope that it is faster than their predecessor. I love every bike company that comes out with something new. This is the fastest one compared to competitors. I mean, everyone says that, but I would hope at least it would be faster than their previous version. So that is Envy's new wheels. And then what else? Courtesy of GCN. If you watch the GCN, they do amazing stuff, Global Cycling Network on YouTube. It is awesome. But they were showing a 12-speed Campy. 12-speed campy road rear mech and so that is pretty cool electronic shifting on that now it is all unbranded which when a lot of brands test stuff especially in the pro tour like earlier this year specialized was testing out a new power meter that they had unbranded that they were having the company for i make for them and it was yeah completely unbranded but everybody was like okay that's a specialized power meter and it's probably made by 4i because it's the exact same shape and size and then they come out later and say oh we just launched a new power meter and it's made by 4i so (laughs) i'm guessing this is going to see the light of day if it is being tested in the uh, pro peloton and so yes 12 speed campy cassette and rear derailleur that will do 12 speeds and new brake levers that are just slightly different than the 11 speed. And also at the Volta, the European TT champ, Victor Campanarts of Lotto Sudal, is riding a 62 tooth, 62 tooth, one by TT bike. Which, a 60 tooth, that is like, you could fit a stake on there, probably like a 16 ounce you know, T-bone steak, you could fit, you know, the biggest baked potato you've ever seen onto there. You probably throw a slab of, if you want to go lobster tail or salmon, whatever kind of surf and turf you want to have, that's what you could put on there. Smother that all in a little bit of drawn butter and, you know, throw some green beans on there because we're trying to be healthy. That is what, that's the dinner you could put on that 62-tooth One by TT bike. It's absolutely massive. But, of course, it's worked for him. European time trial champion. And, uh, sadly, that's all we got for tech this week. Not a ton coming out. So, I'm hoping for episode 8. We have a little bit more to get into. I feel like a new gravel bike is releasing every single week. So, I'm hoping to get some more into gravel. Especially because gravel is coming up. Also, Cross is coming up. And a lot of those bikes tend to, you know, there's a little bit of crossover cross people are probably like there's absolutely no crossover but there's a little bit of crossover in cross there's crossover in cross that was great that was a bad pun if you stick with me long enough on this podcasting journey you're going to you're definitely going to hear some bad dad jokes so i apologize for that and so now moving on to maintenance maintenance and one of the the two biggest maintenance things if you listen to any of the podcasts and podcasts moving forward i'm going to always say the two biggest maintenance things you can do for your bike pump up your tires, put lube on your chain. But how are you putting lube on your chain? It may seem super simple. You spin those pedals, you drop a load of lube on, and you go out riding, which it is totally fine. If you apply lube the wrong way, there's really not a ton of downsides to it. It's just more like how can you be as efficient as possible? You can cause damage by not putting lube on, so please, if, if you're ever wondering, should I put more or less on, you can always put less on. But if you put more on, you're just fine. You're probably just going to get a little bit more attracted, you know, dirt, dust, stuff like that, attracted to your chain. But what do I do when I apply lube? And this is what Muckoff recommends too. It's what I like to do the best. I use Muckoff lube. I use their dry lube regular dry lube and then I use their ceramic dry lube as well. And then they have a step up that I have not tried yet, but I really want to. It's what team sky uses. It's like $25 a bottle. So I don't know if it's worth it. It probably is. If team sky uses it, heck I might as well use it. You know, I need to get those KOMs. as uh, you know, like if Chris Froome uses it, he doesn't need to use it. He should use a regular dry lube. He's already fast enough. No, they need every second, but if they're using it, I can use that on my local, my local crit, you know, get that KOM. So anyways, best thing I say, if you don't have a bike stand, put it up against the wall, put your bike up against the wall and then spin those pedals backwards. And what you want to do is hit the inside of those rollers. And so with your, if you're looking at your bike, I'm talking about the bottom of the chain in between that last jockey wheel and your front chain ring, whichever chain ring you have it in. That is the, the section that I am talking about. And then there's each one of those individual rollers in there. And all you need to do is put one drop one drop of lube on the inside of that roller. And then the best thing to do is let that sit for a couple minutes. So what I do in my pre-ride routine, I put my lube on right away, and then I pump up my tires, and I kind of get everything else ready. So I let that lube sit for, you know, two, three minutes, something like that. Probably best practice is like 10, 15 minutes. Muckoff even recommends overnight at times. I I don't see a big reason to do that, but I let it sit for a couple minutes and then I come back with a rag and just lightly run my finger over it, get off any excess on there. Because if you have excess on there, you are going to attract more dirt and grime and stuff like that. But just one little drop on each of those rollers is all you need. And like I said, if you put more on there, it's okay. It's okay. But what also you should be doing is cleaning that chain and you can clean that chain with your lube. That is a great way to clean your chain. If you just put a little bit more lube on there and then really scrub that that chain down with, with whatever kind of rag you're using. If you're using a chain cleaner too, you can do that. There's other solutions to use if you're using one of those like handheld chain cleaners on there. But just using a simple, I use a t-shirt rag. That'll clean your chain really well or a uh, microfiber rag on there. So, takeaway one little drop on each one of those rollers is all you need do it before you ride every single time unless you do like a 15 mile ride or something really short but anything over 20 miles reapply new lube every single ride and it will give you that most efficient drivetrain it'll just feel smooth like butter and Oh, when your drivetrain is just working as nicely as possible, it, it feels like you're flying an extra two miles faster. Which, when I moved from that regular dry lube up to that ceramic dry lube, it felt like I put a new chain on my bike every single time I rode. Now, I also degrease my chain every single ride and then apply new lube. Not saying you need to do that. That's what I do. And it just it makes my drivetrain feel so smooth. So, I do recommend doing that. Okay. So, pretty easy maintenance tip. Like I said, if you don't have a, a bike stand, you don't need a bike stand to apply chain lube. Set it up against the wall. Spin those pedal backward. Uh, and, and just do it kind of slow. You know, put one drop on, spin, one drop on, spin. And then if you do have a bike stand, though, you can you can do it a lot faster. You can do it a little bit more, I wouldn't say accuracy, but you can spin those pedals, pedals a little bit faster, too. So, moving on to... A little bit of training tips. I I covered a lot in Pro News, so I don't want to go too long on this podcast. But one thing that I see, and it kills me to see it, is I see people with very expensive Pinarello Dogmas, Trek Madones, Cervelos, really expensive bikes. And they've done a lot to make this bike look amazing, to make this bike light, to make this bike, you know, into a super bike. This is not a regular bike. This is a super bike. And then I look down on their feet, and they're wearing a pair of $80 cycling shoes. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that, and I don't want to shame people, but they have a $12,000 bike, and then one of their main contact points on the bike is a nylon-based shoe, and they're losing out on so much power transfer by using that shoe. And it kills me, because I'm like, you've just poured all of this money into there to, to, to go faster, and if you just paid $200 for a carbon sold pair of shoes, you would instantly p- be putting out more watts, be going faster, and uh, being more efficient on the bike, because your, your power transfer is being stiffer therefore you are going to put more power through those pedals now i i I had to learn it the hard way too i i mean i started off with nylon shoes and every beginner I, i say you should start with nylon shoes it's going to be the most comfortable for you you really don't need that carbon sold yet just get comfortable with those nylon shoes nylon bottom shoes also they're a better price point for people getting into it so if you're a beginner please just stay with uh nylon bottom shoes but if you've been wondering how can I be more efficient, how can I put more watts through my bike, well you gotta think you have those three contact points. You have the handlebars where your hands sit, you have the saddle where your butt sits, and then you have your feet at those pedals. And that is such a crucial point for putting down that power and transferring transferring that energy from your legs into the pedals that is ultimately turning your cranks and moving that drivetrain system. And carbon-soled shoes allow that stiffness and allow you a harder, better, faster, more efficient power transfer of watts. And, and like I said, I started off with nylon shoes. Then I went up to a Giro shoe that had Easton EC70 uh, carbon bottom on there. And EC70 is still a carbon-based shoe, but it is the lower-end model for – Easton, and then I moved up to the Giro Empires, which I love those shoes, but they have the Easton EC90 on there, and it, it's just it's a world of a difference. Every time I moved up to a better shoe, it, it made so much different out on the bike. I could see a difference in my speed, a difference in my wattage output, a difference in how I just felt. I felt more powerful out on the bike. So if you are really looking at a cost-effective way to put down more watts, to get faster, to get those KOMs, to do better in your local grits, whatever that is. If you are still riding in a nylon bottom shoe or you don't have that top level carbon shoe, I would highly recommend putting that money into it. Because when you look at how to get more powerful on your bike, how to save weight, how to get more aero, it is usually very expensive. And putting an extra hundred dollars into your shoes, I know it's still a lot of money, but it is not outrageous and it's doable in a lot of people's incomes. And it's a great way, a great way to get more watts. And and I use on my road bike, but also cyclocross, my commuting bike. I have the same pair Jiro, uh both road and mountain bike, but I'm like I can't go back to a nylon bottom shoe. I, I just can't, even if it's for commuting, even if it's for whatever, the only reason I would do it is going to, maybe if I was going to go on a long touring, but probably not, I know Jiro uh, released a knit shoe that used the EC70, I might reduce down to the Easton EC70 carbon bottom shoe for that knit upper, but probably not, I haven't bought them yet, so I haven't done it. But I just love the stiffness that it gives me now. And it's like, why would I want to waste any energy by a simple choice of my shoes? Like, It's not going to give me any more comfort. I don't want to waste any energy and know in my head that I could maybe be going a split second faster if I had carbon. So carbon bottom shoes all the way for me now. And you're really not spending a ton more compared to a lower end carbon shoe. Uh, or a nylon shoe, you know, jumping up maybe a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, but it's definitely worth it for all the things that you can upgrade on your bike. That is a super, super easy way to get some more watts, get some more speed, get some more power, get more efficiency, and they just freaking look cool. So you, you know, make that full kit look pro. You know, it's super, super big. To get everything matching, and uh, usually those higher end shoes just—they mm, just look a little bit more crisp out on the bike. Now, I'm not saying that your shoes don't look crisp. But the higher end shoes, of course, they put more money into research and design. So usually they end up looking just slightly bit, slightly bit cooler, a little bit more pro. So that brings us to the conclusion of episode seven cycling with Watts. And I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. I really hope you got something out of it. Hopefully, out on your next ride, you're going to feel so much smoother because you put lube on the right way. At least, even if it's all mental, I don't care. You know, even if it's all mental, yeah, that that's a that's a big deal in cycling, as you know, watching these Grand Tours. But uh, no, no, thank you for listening. If you want to get more, you want to get more connected with me, you can go follow me on Twitter, Instagram, blog, website at cyclingwithwatts.com. Instagram is at cycling with watts. Twitter is cycling with watts, but it is cycling w t h watts. I could not spell out with. Otherwise, my handle would be too long, so that is all the ways you can consume me outside of just uh, listening to my voice over your phone speaker, your headphones, your car, wherever you are listening to this. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'll be releasing another podcast on Tuesday. We're going to try to get into a regular schedule of releasing podcasts on Tuesday mornings and Friday mornings, and hopefully I can mix in something called a Saturday special where I'd like to do... uh, interview people from around the cycling culture in Minnesota, uh, nothing confirmed yet, but I'm hoping that that's the plan. So next Tuesday, come tune in for episode eight of the cycling with podcast, cycling with Watts podcast. And we're going to let that, uh, that sting music play us out. So hit it orchestra.